Hello and welcome to Build Momentum, where we make PR easy for education organizations. This show was created to help edtech startups, research institutes, and schools learn how to develop simple, replicable PR strategies and how to execute on those strategies. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent the past 15 years working in PR, where I've been able to understand what works and what does it when it comes to making an impact. I will share my tips for success and interview others who have done the same to provide you with a framework that you can use within your own organization. Be sure to grab my free guide, How to Create a Killer Case Study, even if you don't have data, at casestudy.swpr-group.com. That's casestudy.swpr-group.com. And on today's episode, we have Jason Anklowitz, a former educator who now partners with both startups and school districts to provide change management, technology integrations, and communication. Jason, welcome to Build Momentum. We're glad to have you on the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Jason, could you start off by sharing a little bit more about your background in education and the work you're doing now? Sure. Thank you. I'm a career educator. And the reason I'm a career educator is that when I first got to university myself and started comparing notes with some of my classmates, what I found is that my own K-12 learning experience didn't really stack up. And even as a young man with limited experience in the world, I was able to extrapolate that out to say that my middle-class public school education left something wanting, then there are a lot of people in this country who continue to have much greater claim to that realization than I had at that time. And so I started in the Washington, D.C. public schools teaching kindergarten and first grade with the goal initially to become the most outstanding instructor that I possibly could. And from there, what I wanted to do was to be able to continue to scale the impact that I was able to have from my instruction. So moving from one class to multiple classes and then eventually across an entire school and and across schools. And I did that by developing curriculum and then eventually running schools myself. And what I found is that, or what the realization that I had at some point was that in order to continue to scale that impact, I'd have to do something a little bit different. And so that's when I got my MBA. And for the last year and a half or so, I've been taking on consulting roles to figure out exactly where my background and my experience can be most helpful. So that's what brings me here today. That's really impressive. So tell me more about what drove you to make that shift from an educator and going to higher leadership throughout your districts, and then also now to helping scale that nationwide. Tell me more about that and the cross-function of work you're doing with both education startups and districts. I'd love to learn more about that work. Sure. So for me, the goal became scaling my impact as much as possible. And being in schools and even in districts, there's just a limit to that at some stage. And so what's brought me to EdTech in particular is that when you find something that works well, the scale is essentially infinite. And that's tremendously appealing to me. And what I've found is that there's two primary roles that I fill because of my background. First, just being a translator in the space between schools and educators and the people developing solutions for schools and educators. What I found is that on the rare occasion that the communication is happening between those two groups, there's a lot lost in the translation. And so being able to function in that capacity and provide some context and understanding between them is something where I see a lot of value, being able to provide a lot of value. Yeah. So you mean that those conversations happening between ed tech companies and educators, right? 
Yes, exactly. So investors, developers, executives, Mm -hmm. companies developing solutions. I don't think that those conversations are happening broadly enough. And when they do, I think there's a lot that gets missed just because it's hard to understand until you're in it what the grind is like day to day being in a school, trying to address all kinds of problems even before you can get to the learning. And so my frustration as an educator was always that nothing quite worked the way that I wanted it to. And I think that's partly because it's just hard to put into the correct context a lot of the things that are being developed for schools and for educators. Yeah, totally agree with you. And so the conversation that I've been having more recently, though, is around the distribution of solutions, because it's no secret that sales to schools is just absolutely brutal between becoming a recognized vendor and then lobbying for public solicitations to solutions to the problem that you've already solved and going to committee and hopefully coming out successfully. It's often a 24-month sales cycle. And for earlier stage companies especially, that's path-breaking. And so trying to streamline that process and trying to help companies understand how they can navigate that to hopefully accelerate that process a little bit, that's something else that I've been having a lot of conversations around recently. Yeah, that's so important. Are there a lot of other people that are doing this a similar, sort of becoming a translator? Are there others? Do you have competitors in this space? I'm just curious. (laughs) You know, I always love, I don't think anybody's a competitor. Everybody's a competitor until you figure out how to work together. That's so true. If there are people out there doing work that sounds similar, I would love to hear from them because I don't think there's enough of us, honestly. There certainly are people who have shifted. There's a number of people who have shifted from education into peripheral industries, whether it's publishing or in ed tech. But I think there are fewer who have filled some of the roles that I have throughout my career. And a lot of those folks tend to have more of an instructional background. Yeah. I just love what you're doing. I think it's so innovative and you saw a need and you are filling it. And what's interesting about that is I feel like you are bringing an entrepreneurial mindset to education. And that's kind of a lot of what we talk about on the show. So I'm curious if you've had those conversations with people about how we can bridge those two worlds this private sector startup communities and education and figuring out how to work together more effectively. Are you talking about bringing that entrepreneurial mindset with districts? Is that something that you're hearing and sharing with people? I'm curious about your take on that. Absolutely. And it's such a great question because again, some of it just gets lost in translation, I think, because educators are accustomed to wearing a lot of different hats. It's something that as a young teacher, I learned was an absolutely essential part of the job very quickly without anybody having to explain it. You fill a lot of different roles, both for kids and for the people around you. And so I think that the entrepreneurialism is something that actually makes great sense to educators and to teachers. It's really just like articulating how those elements overlap. Because to me, the essence of being an entrepreneur is exactly the same thing. You're identifying every day what has to be done and figuring out how best to do it. And that's when you you cut down to the bottom line, that's exactly what we're doing in education as well. Yeah, absolutely. What's unique about your particular role that you've created for yourself is that we reach on this podcast, we reach educators, startups, thought leaders in education. So it's really fascinating that you kind of encompass all of those worlds. And we also try to make sure that the things we talk about are really sharing applicable strategies that can be implemented right away. So I'm curious, it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is communication. Have you found some really effective ways to communicate 
with both the district side and the private sector and how to effectively bridge those gaps. I'm curious about the ways you're reaching your different stakeholders and how you're communicating with each of those groups differently. Sure. Yes. It's a challenge. You know, what I've heard a number of people in the ed tech ecosystem say, investors, entrepreneurs, executives, again, they've lamented the fact that even in the circumstances we have been adjusting to over the last year, a lot of school communities believe that they need some version of a product that fits its particular community differently than the one down the road. That whatever works in another place can't possibly work the same way here. Right. And so there's, you know, while there's good reason to to lament that idea, there's good reason to pay attention to it, I think, as well, because every community does tend to be a little bit different than the next, but also probably not quite as different as they'd like to believe. And the concern I hear from the ed tech side is that schools and to some degree treating quality by requiring arguably unnecessarily customization for a product. And so after hearing this several times, I took a closer look. And what I found is that in a lot of cases, what's actually happening is less about how schools are feeling that they need something slightly different than it is that when companies move from district to district, from school to school, and especially from channel to channel, they don't completely recognize how the benefits of their product and the messages that they're sending are being heard in that new place. It can be subtly different from the last. What I think is really important to appreciate about moving between schools and districts is that those differences are not, when they're being highlighted, it's not about kids learning differently than they do in another place, or or even necessarily the, the fundamental needs being vastly different. But what you're addressing really is that the process for determining how to address those challenges, how to incorporate solutions to the problems you identify may be very different. And the people involved in that process may be very different from place to place. So what I see a lot of times is that a company might have figured out the mainstream public school channel, but has difficulty shifting into the charter school world or vice versa, or maybe has figured out Catholic schools, but hasn't quite figured out how to tackle secular independent schools. And Mm -hmm. so what I try to impress on those companies is that it's not a fundamental difference. It's how the message is being heard. So Mm -hmm. if I'm going to boil down in one word for each of the different channels that you can see in education, what's going to resonate most thoroughly with each of those audiences in the public school world, it's accountability because everybody's on the hook at some point at the end of the day. In the charter school world, though, it's achievement because they want to have something that's 180 degrees from what the typical public school is doing. In the Catholic school world, it's going to be mission. Those are great examples of just mission-focused organizations. But in the rest of the private school world, it's religious, Episcopal, for example, but non-Catholic, that mission translates a little bit differently to service. So how can we be of service to the rest of our community, to the wider world? In the independent private school world, you're often finding a focus on excellence. If I'm going to boil down to one thing for each of those different channels, that's what I'm going to try to focus on. But again, the emphasis changes a little bit if you're talking to a superintendent or a principal or a teacher or a parent. And it's important to recognize how each of those audiences is going to hear what you're saying just a little bit differently. And that can have all the impact in the world on how they see the solution that you're offering. Yeah, it all comes down to communication. I feel like that's So true in life and certainly PR. And if you want to be effective at selling into a district, you need to listen to that, right? Yeah, it's an idea that I think is mostly unique to education. 
if you've got a CRM, if you've got an ERP, and you're dealing with chief revenue officer, chief financial officer, those are very similar conversations from one organization to the next. You know, when you're talking about similar sizes, similar revenues. But when you talk about schools, that can be a very, very different conversation just from one place to another because the people involved in the discussion can change so drastically from one place to the next. Yeah, right. Who's making those decisions in one district can be so different from another. Absolutely. So I'm curious, Jason, how have you seen the relationship between vendors and districts change throughout the pandemic? And how do you think that's going to continue to shift as we hopefully are merging into a post-pandemic world? Yeah, great question. You know, a year ago, if you remember, just about everything became free. And part of it was, how can we help schools in this difficult moment? Let's make everything available, which is the right spirit, I think. Depending, though, on how districts handled that situation, right now, in a lot of places, there's an incredible purge of solutions and applications that have moved back to their subscription services and conflict with something else that the school or the district has already adopted. And so in some ways, that already challenging sales channel has become even more difficult. What I'm hearing and what was probably always the case is that the schools and the districts that have been able to be a little more nimble during this time are also the ones that now have the capacity for maintaining existing relationships while also establishing new ones. But places that were a little more overwhelmed are the ones that are having a more reactionary response at the moment. You know, it's challenging as well looking ahead just because CARES Act money notwithstanding, a lot of school districts are now facing budget cuts. And so invariably for schools, those cuts will impact people disproportionately because 75% of schools operating budgets on average go toward personnel, but it just means a smaller pie to some degree. At the same time, if you have fewer people, fewer hands for the work, then you have to find some other way to be able to leverage the folks that you've got. So it's tough to say there's a lot, there's just so many variables that go into it. And again, no situation is quite the same as the next. If nothing else, it's even more complicated than it was before, I think. Yeah, I know. What do you think is going to be the future in terms of digital curriculum and online learning? Do you think that that's going to become adopted within the classroom? Are parents going to demand that flexibility? What do you anticipate will happen? Yeah, another great question. And fundamentally, especially when you're talking about those 100 largest school systems in the country, which is, I mean, you only need the top 50 school districts in the country to reach that are addressing a full third of our K-12 students in the entire U.S. Top 100 is a lot of students. They're massive organizations and huge bureaucracies that are just difficult to maneuver. One of the lasting impacts that I think we're going to feel for a while is the fact that during this time, we've just seen a lot of students disappear from schools. They've been thriving in this remote environment, and I'm not sure that they're going to come back. And so there's been a rise in homeschooling. There's been a rise in the popularity of micro schools, pods that are being set up in a lot of places. I think to some degree, that's obviously been accelerated by the pandemic. And some significant portion of that, I think, is here to stay. So, you know, is it going to be incumbent on schools to try to compete with that? Yeah, absolutely. I just don't know that some of the larger districts have the capacity to be able to pivot like that. Mm -hmm. but certainly for private schools and for charter school world. It's going to be something to think about more than it was before. Yeah, totally. I agree. 
Well, Jason, this has been fascinating. Clearly, you're talented and supporting districts and startups and edtech companies right now more than ever. I think you're probably really a godsend to so many people. So thank you for joining us. How can my listeners learn more about you? Yeah, thank you for that, Sarah. This has been great. I appreciate the opportunity. And the best way to reach out and to learn more is to visit my LinkedIn profile. You can find my company website, Headspring Consulting, as well as my contact information. So I direct everybody there first. Perfect. I'll include that in the show notes. Thank you so much again. I appreciate it. And let's stay in touch and let's see how this unfolds for all of us. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Okay. Thanks. Yes. And Build Momentum listeners, don't forget to grab my free guide to creating a killer case study, even if you don't have data. Again, that's available at casestudy.swpr-group.com, casestudy.swpr-group.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and write us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you choose to listen. We will be back with another episode of Build Momentum next week. Thanks so much and have a fantastic day.